90.7 WTCC. Good morning. Welcome to the Spoken Word. Welcome to everybody who's listening uh, all over New England, wherever our 4,000 watts brings us. Also, those who are uh, listening over the Internet on WTCCFM.org, on HopeRadio1.org, those who are watching me as I stream on the various media platforms. Uh, good morning to each and every single one of you. Uh, important subject matter uh, that we need to deal with on this day. Uh, started it out last week uh, about... Um, um, the, the link between white evangelicalism and uh, white supremacy. I, I've had about, uh, over the last two weeks, about five or six articles written about me. Um, various white evangelicals uh, have written articles, and, and several of them have uh, done podcasts and YouTube videos and the whole nine, uh, basically trying to refute um, what I've had to say and trying to slander me uh, at the same time, because every time you talk about white supremacy, racism and anti-black bigotry, you get labeled as the racist. You become the racist for talking about racism. Uh, you know, that's that's the new thing um, with them. Not really a new thing. You know, it's an old thing, but that's their go to strategy. Um, you know, we're going to label him as the racist. And um, so various persons, James White, um, um, uh, Michael Brown, um, and then and then we've even had some some black folks uh, who are tied to racist white supremacists um, that have gotten into the mix. Um, uh, this one gentleman who works for. Uh, John MacArthur, um, um, he's gotten into the mix. And, uh, you know, we're we always going to have a sycophant, um, uh, a buck dancer, a foot shuffler uh, somewhere. So Daryl B. Harrison has uh, been on a Twitter rampage uh, uh, talking smack about me as well. So, you know, I'm the uh, I'm the whipping boy of the white evangelical movement right now because I dare to speak the truth about their ties to white supremacy. Um, it is what it is. And let me just go over a brief history because in about 10 minutes, I'm going to bring on the program uh, Dr. Freddie Haynes uh, uh, from Dallas, Texas, friend and brother, um, a freedom fighter, someone who's astute on this subject, and we're going to chop it up about it, especially that manifesto. Um, evangelicals, uh, in in religious terminology, they believe, supposedly believe, uh, that Christ is the Savior of humanity. Um, they have a long history in America and includes a number of different groups, Baptists, Pentecostals, Methodists, non-denominational churches. Uh, there was a schism um, in among the Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians uh, back in the mid-1800s over the issue of slavery. I want you to understand, you know, the history of this. Uh, conservative denominations like the Southern Baptists, who defended slavery through their 
reading of scripture and white evangelicals have long used scripture to justify the oppression of black people because they talked about the curse of ham. Therefore, black people are cursed. They talked about slaves be obedient to your master, that it was uh, biblically okay for them to hold us as slaves and for them to oppress black folk and that the best we could do was go to heaven when we died. So we needed Jesus for that. So they they preached to us a whitenized version of Christianity uh, that was meant to keep us locked in chains, oppress our minds, uh, uh, to keep us in bondage, but give us this hope that uh, after we live this life of subservience to them, that we could get into heaven. Um uh, and so that was their reading of the scripture. And because the primary schisms between northern and southern denominations was over the issue of slavery in the pre and post Civil War years, African-American Protestants formed our own denomination, starting with the uh, AME Church and so on and so forth. Evangelical denominations formed from these splits in the South, and they were usually comprised of people who had made money from slavery, folks who had supported slavery. And so after the Civil War, uh, many were more likely to have supported the Ku Klux Klan, approved of or even participated in the lynching of black people. I mean, they, they had no problem with lynching a black man on Saturday uh, and then, uh, you know, going to praise uh, uh, white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus on Sunday. Um, you know, the burning cross of the KKK was a symbol of white Christian supremacy. That's where that came from. White evangelical Christians burning crosses on the lawn. And see, white folks want to try to conflate the issue with us. And they want to they want to push it over and say, well, those were Democrats. They were evangelicals. They were white folks. I don't give a hamburger what political party they belong to. And we all know um, that the Democrats of that age are the Republicans of this age. Uh, all you got to do is threaten to take down a Confederate monument and you'll see exactly who gets offended. Um, and, and so, you know, all of this was designed to put fear in the hearts of African-Americans to highlight the supposed Christian righteousness um, and, and and during the civil rights movement, even many white evangelicals outright opposed Martin Luther King Jr. They, you know, they, they all love him today now that he's been dead over 50 years. They want to quote him and they want to use his quotes as a cudgel to beat black folk who condemn racism over the head. You know, that you shouldn't talk about that. You should be more like MLK. Y'all hated MLK when he was alive. All right. Your ideological ancestors hated MLK. And if he was alive today, white evangelicals today would be calling MLK what they call people like me and Dr. Freddie Haynes, a rabble rouser, a race baiter, a race hustler. They'd be calling MLK the exact same thing today. And then those who didn't participate, um, those who didn't outright oppose MLK and civil rights leader like Billy Graham, they stayed neutral, you know, believing that racial harmony would come 
when the nation turned to God, just everybody turned to God. Um, and then uh, all of this racism stuff will go away. And that's kind of the spirit of John MacArthur and others uh, that let's not talk about social justice. Let's just talk about the gospel. To talk about social justice is antithetical to the gospel. So let's just not talk about it. I don't understand this notion by white evangelicals that if you don't talk about racism, it's going to disappear. In the 1970s, evangelicalism became synonymous with being born again and also against abortion. And with the rise of the moral majority in the late 1970s, they began to seek not only moral but political power. Ronald Reagan, um, who counted evangelicals among his most vociferous supporters, started his presidential campaign on the platform of states' rights. Um you know, he did it right down in Mississippi where Michael Swerner, James Cheney, and Andrew Goodman were murdered by several Klansmen with the participation of local law enforcement while evangelicals sat and said nothing about it. Then decades later, you had Jerry Falwell, the evangelical leader, opposed sanctions on South Africa's apartheid regime and insulted Bishop Desmond Tutu, a Nobel Prize winner, as a phony. This is the history of white evangelicalism in America. You remember after after the 9-11 terrorist attacks, many evangelicals vilified Islam. They created cottage industries and ministries promoting Islamophobia. And then when Barack Obama was elected uh, president, they regrouped, they bought guns, they became tea partiers. They promoted so-called fiscal responsibility. They started a birther movement led by the current president of the United States. They prayed prayers like, let's pray for Obama, Psalm 109 and 8, let his days be few. Let his children be fatherless. And now those same evangelicals say, pray for the president, respect the president. But they went eight years disrespecting the president because he was a black man. And this whole birtherism stuff promoted not just by Donald Trump, but by the son of Billy Graham, Franklin Graham. These were the evangelicals that were calling Barack Obama the Antichrist. The family's values, folks. Okay? Here was a man who was married over 20 years to one woman, two children by his wife, no extramarital affairs, no moral scandals or anything. They called him the Antichrist. Along comes a guy who's been married three times, five kids, three baby mamas, 10 abortions by mistresses, sex with porn stars and prostitutes, and they say, this is God's anointed. This is white evangelicalism, ladies and gentlemen. This is what it is. Uh, and, and even though they make a show of repenting for racism, you know, from the racial reconciliation meetings of the 1990s to today, you know, uh, they on paper declare racism a sin. The Southern Baptists have apologized for their role in slavery. Um, it, it, even in 2018, uh, they had a document outlining their role. 
But statements aren't enough, especially when your behavior is disconnected from the statements that you make atoning for the sin of racism. I mean, come on. Uh, 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 Robert Jeffress, First Baptist Church, um, uh, uh, um, said of Donald Trump, he doesn't judge people by the color of their skin, but whether or not they support him. Calling that the definition of being colorblind. It, 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 you know, Jeffress is, is, is a huge hypocrite. Uh, it'll take Dr. Uh, Freddie Haynes to talk about him because they pastor in the same city. But let me um, let me give you a little history on Dr. Haynes, who's going to be joining us uh, shortly. He is the senior pastor of Friendship West Baptist Church. Uh, under his leadership uh, since 1983, the church has grown uh, by leaps and by bounds. Uh, he's the chairman of the board of the Samuel DeWitt Proctor Conference, a board member of the Conference of National Black Churches, where we serve on the board together. Um, and he's on the board of the National Action Network, a member of the board of trustees of Paul Quinn uh, College. He's offered, authored several uh, books, and we'll talk a little bit about his um, latest book as well. Uh, he was named to Ebony Magazine's Power 100 list of influential African Americans, and was inducted into the National Black College Alumni Hall of Fame. Um, uh, he's a beast, y'all. He's going to be joining us momentarily. Don't you dare touch that dial. Don't you dare go anywhere. We're going to be right back uh, with my friend, my brother, Dr. Freddie Haynes. Yeah, yeah. Family first. Some friends don't last. Hey, do they understand your worth? Do they give you a hand when it's worth? Greatness is in my roots. I can't wait to plant my seeds. Expand my family tree. I'm here for y'all. I cannot leave. Without y'all, I cannot breathe. Still trying to be the man y'all need. Watch me grow. Just like blood can't stop my flow. He know my name, but he not my bro. As far as I know, I don't got no foes. Let me say this in advance. I'm going to eat, but I only plan to be at the table with my fam. And that's my word. That's my word. How could I even have the nerve yeah, to forget to put my family first? Now, that's family... That song is called Family. Uh, that's my son, my very talented son, my namesake, Talbert Swan um, the Third. So y'all go ahead and y'all uh, look that up on iTunes, anywhere you stream music, and y'all go ahead and get that. Uh, I gave you the introduction uh, to Dr. Freddie Haynes. He now joins us uh, on the line. Good morning, Dr. Haynes. Good morning, Bishop. What an honor to be on your program. I appreciate you. Your prophetic witness and brilliance is a gift to our nation. Man, I appreciate uh, those words. That's very kind of you. But, man, I, I just gave your bio. And, um, of course, you know, we appreciate everything that you do around this nation. Uh, I talked about um, um, uh, your three books, but I want to um, highlight your latest book, Rocking the World with Your Words, An Essential Guide to Developing and Delivering a Life-Changing Message. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll get into this conversation uh, about white evangelicalism uh, and white supremacy. I appreciate it, man. I was just asked for uh, a conference to put together 
uh, how I do what I do in terms of public speaking, uh, because all of us at one time or another will have to do that. And so the book is a kind of a speech bio uh, or autobiography, autobiography of what I have attempted to do and what and the lessons I've learned through the years, the uh, sheroes and heroes of oratory who have uh, influenced and inspired me, lessons from them uh, that I believe can inform all of us in our effort uh, to use uh, the gift of words uh, to recreate uh, this world in which we live. And God knows we need a recreation uh, this day. 413-736-2781 is the number here. I'm on with Dr. Freddie Haynes. Dr. Haynes, um, more than uh, 10,000 now um, white evangelical Christians have signed a document titled For the Sake of Christ and His Church, uh, the statement on social justice and the gospel, right. Uh, right. written by pastors like John MacArthur, Vadi Buchanan, um, and in in my estimation, contradicting what the Bible says about social justice. It it was a, it was published um, last year, and it states, and I quote: "We reject any teaching that encourages racial groups." to view themselves as privileged oppressors or entitled victims of oppression. And we emphatically deny uh, that lectures on social justice or activism aimed at reshaping the wider culture are as vital to the life and health of the church as the preaching of the gospel and the exposition of scripture. What is your take on this manifesto? And I, I encourage people to go out and get it and read it um, in its entirety. Um, but I, I cannot read the Bible and right. come to any such conclusion uh, that social justice is heretical or antithetical to Christianity. Right. I mean, there, there's no way to do that. It reminds me of Martin King Jr., uh, who declared that white evangelicals are often more white than they are evangelical. As a matter of fact, uh, whiteness uh, has become their god. So uh, the architects of that quote-unquote manifesto, as far as I'm concerned, they practice an idolatry uh, where whiteness is their god, and in order to justify the maintenance of a white supremacist status quo, uh, they not only misuse the Bible, they edit the Bible. And so that particular manifesto uh, is an exegesis of an edited Bible uh, that has basically cut out of Scripture uh, the essence of what Scripture is, because you can't read uh, the Bible according to the brilliant uh, biblical scholar Jerome Ross uh, without understanding its context, and that is, you know, you're talking about texts that take place in a socio-political economic context of oppression, uh, one of six oppressions. It was either Egyptian oppression, uh, Babylonian, Persian, Grecian, Roman, 
uh, Assyrian, but all of Scripture takes place in a context of oppression. And so what they do in this manifesto is take biblical text out of context for their white supremacist pretext. And in essence, they end up conning uh, their followers into believing that justice is absent from Scripture, when in reality, there are over 1,000 passages of Scripture that refer to justice. And so what they are doing, again, is partnering with white supremacy in order to maintain the status quo. They build it on Scripture, and the sad reality is their, 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 their heritage, as it were, is in those same white supremacist Christians who justified slavery, who used the Bible in order to support segregation and the second-class citizenship of African Americans and the annihilation of Native Americans. So, unfortunately, what they're doing ain't new. It's just a remixed version of white supremacy informing white Christianity in, this, in, in the nation's history in its most sick form. You know, what you just hit on, um, the Bible mentioned injustice, and there was one scholar who who actually put that number um, uh, at about 2,200 passages of Scripture uh, that speak to uh, directly or indirectly justice. Uh, Only uh, four passages speak to homosexuality, and and one passage— indirectly references abortion. Yet, somehow, white evangelicals spend the bulk of their time, and many um, black Christians get on board with them, um, spending all of our time talking about homosexuality and and abortion, uh, which the Bible doesn't speak much about, uh, and not doing the work of justice, which the Bible overwhelmingly talks about. It's like we're majoring in what the Bible minors in and minoring in what the Bible majors in. Right, right. And so, and since they like to just take one scripture, you know, maybe they need to check out Jesus when he said, what is it, Matthew 23, 23, he talks about how, uh, you know, they... uh, tithe a nice mint and come in. I mean, they are so uh, focused on these minor issues, but they neglect, Jesus said, the weightier matters of the law. And one of those weightier matters, Jesus himself said, is justice. And so I think it's very appropriate uh, that you say they major in what the Bible minors in, and they minor in what the Bible majors in. But again, it's their hermeneutical distortion of Scripture. It's their editing of the Bible in order to maintain a white supremacist status quo. Uh, I can't say it enough. Dr. King is right. They are much more white than they ever will be Christian, and their whiteness so informs. No, it really infects their Christianity that they cannot see the Bible or what they would love to call the whole counsel of God because they are so busy seeing it through their white prism. And again, their white prism is quite poisonous, especially to those of us whose skin has been kissed by nature's sun. It, it, it's a flat-out denial uh, that privilege exists, which which anybody oh uh, can see. And it goes further uh, to say that we shouldn't even be talking about it, um, that somehow— um, refusing to talk about 
um, issues of justice, uh, by osmosis somehow, it will go away. And, and, and if you talk about justice, uh, and if you talk about racism and white supremacy, you become the racist. And it seems right. like they're more concerned about being called racist than actually being racist. No question. And I guess the interesting thing about uh, what you're saying is that their denial, their, their their state of denial also denies the fact that as long as they continue to use Scripture to justify you know, whiteness, as long as they practice the idolatry of white supremacy, they maintain their privilege. And so they become complicit, as it were, in maintaining privilege at the expense of justice and practicing injustice. And so as a consequence of that, you know, it's almost as if if they actually deal with racism, they recognize there's going to be a need to restructure this society, to restructure this nation, because their whole privilege they live on is based on maintaining things as they are. And again, what they will do uh, in order to maintain their privilege is attack anyone who prophetically dares to speak truth to power. And again, they play that game where they will call you bishop. They'll say that you are a racist. They will say that you are a race baiter. They will say that here you go using race in order to divide us. And it's really a trip that they will accuse us of dividing the nation when they never really deal with. Uh, it's almost like you want you want to uh, go after those who are actually speaking the truth because the truth is so unnerving and so as a consequence what do you do you attack them it's kind of like what they say in a court when you know the truth ain't on your side you have to attack the credibility of the witness you cannot attack the witness's statement because you know they're telling the truth so you go in on the witness and so all they are doing bishop is attacking you you as the witness because they can't handle the power of your prophetic truth wow wow and, and you know so when we really unpack and look at the history of racial oppression uh, and where it has left African-Americans, you know, they, they, they like to tell us that, you know, America is this land of endless opportunity for those that work hard, pull themselves up, you know, by their bootstraps. But the studies have shown um, um, that that's not the case. Dr. King said it was a right. cruel thing uh, to tell a bootless man uh, that right. he needed to pull himself up by his bootstraps. And so the denial of of not only contemporary racism, but historical racism, uh, then throws the blame on black people for being where they are. Uh, and, and then you can uh, push it off on you being lazy, um, right. uh, not being responsible, and, and wanting to get a handout, wanting to get uh, thinking you're entitled to something. And this is coming from folk who have benefited from entitlements uh, since there has been in America. Yes, yes. Uh, Jeremiah Wright brilliantly says, if you bake a cake, uh, as you may do for 
uh, Thanksgiving, and then the cake comes out of the oven, you know, hot, and then you say, oh, my God, I forgot to add sugar to the cake. Uh, what do you do, pour sugar on top of the cake? Uh, no, you recognize the cake was constituted wrongly, and because it was constituted wrong, you've got to rebake the cake. And unfortunately, uh, what white evangelicals will never deal with is the fact that the cake of this country was constituted wrong. Uh, it was constituted so wrong that when they try to define and deal with, quote unquote, the problem of the Negro and how do we count him, what we were seen as three-fifths of an individual. And please recognize that was tied and informed by white Christianity informing what do we do with these black people. And so even in the constituting of this country, you see it's constituted wrong, and in the Constitution, we are seen as less than human. Well, as you're baking this wrongly constituted cake, as you so brilliantly pointed out, you are passing policies that benefit some at the expense of others. And even if they don't want to deal with slavery, let's deal with the aftermath of slavery and all of those policies that basically built a white middle class. Bishop, I had someone have the nerve to come to me. We did a protest uh, during the MLK celebration here in Dallas uh, last year. They asked me to speak. That was a major mistake because my challenge is Dallas. Uh, you are a divided city, divided by race, and you need to engage now in repairing what you have broken. I was calling for reparations uh, right here in Dallas. And so afterwards, uh, a white councilman came to my office to challenge me, and he said, I, I, I call myself a social liberal, uh, but I'm a fiscal conservative. I don't see how it is. You, I, He said, I get the need for equity and equality, but my thing is we should not depend on government to lift up a people uh, at the expense of others. And I said, well, how do you think you got what you got? You basically have what you have because the government passed policies that excluded black people yes, sir. while white people were building a middle class floor. And so I said, you wanted government to help you then, but now you want less government now. And of course, it shut him down because he had to recognize it in the history of this country from the GI Bill to Social Security, not to mention FHA loans. All of those were used to provide a middle class floor for white America at the expense of black people. And so when they talk about downsizing government, they are basically lying. Their privileges they enjoy today are built on what the government did for them. And here's what is so powerful about what you said. And so they pathologize black people in so many ways. They love to talk about what? Uh, we're lazy. They love to talk about how black people are uh, engaged in black-on-black -black crime. And even that's a lie because the bottom line is they're pathologizing neighbor-on-neighbor -neighbor crime, but they ignore white-on-white -white crime. Yes, sir. Over 85% of all white people who get killed get killed by white people. People, but do we call it white on white crime? No, because you want to pathologize black people in order to legitimize your continued denial of opportunity and equity for the people who historically have suffered from white supremacy. Wow. Wow. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Doing well. Good morning. I'm just thinking about the black and white uh, status, which... Um, 
White is basically, if you look in the Black's Law Dictionary, it's not a color. It's a status, sovereign, right? And I think we need to look at Ruth the Moabitess, because I know you both are um, religious men. And because we're talking about black and white instead of talking about human. Um, black is not a status. It's a dead status, clearly. Well, where, where, you, so where, 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 you, where are you going with this? Where I'm going with this is that um, we're never going to receive justice under those titles black and white because that doesn't tie us to our birthright now 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 let me let me let me let me just let me say this because see um there was a gentleman uh dr haynes who was who was trying to um debate me um over the past couple of days who was talking about this very thing how uh, you know, race is a social construct. There's no such thing as holistic. We're dealing with the situation as it is. We we are discriminated against. We are lynched, brutalized, dehumanized because of our blackness. Let's right. let's let's not pretend we're being brutalized because we're human and it's just humans brutalizing other humans. No, it's white supremacist violence on us because of our black bodies. And right. therefore we're calling for justice for black people. So let, let, let's not, let's not get into that because you know, uh, what you're trying to do you, is you're helping the enemy um, by denying the fact that the reason we catch hell is because we are black. Thank you. And again, and, and Bishop, I'll just piggyback on that, on that by saying that, of this structured violence to black people in this country. All of the outcomes where basically, you know, black people live in communities that are what's victimized by environmental racism. So uh, your life expectancy is not determined by your genetic code, but by your zip code. And those zip codes are the product, what Rothstein calls, of the color of law, of public policies that put black people in communities that were, what, saturated with landfills and lead poisoning and water. Do you really think, and I, and I, I need everyone to hear me right now, if, if black people were not living, if, if white people we're living in Flint, Michigan. If if Flint, Michigan was a white uh, populated community that was dominated by white people, do you come on next week? Um, but this is so necessary. This All right, is so necessary. Pre- it is brilliant. Thank you very much. Appreciate the call, brother. Four one three seven three six two seven eight one. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Good morning. Uh, Thank you, Bishop, and your guests for, again, telling the truth. And one thing I wanted to comment on was that I think that people of color continue to be oppressed by this racist system because we don't go out and vote in droves the way white people do. I know for a long time in this country, after we were um, allotted, I guess, the, the right to vote, there was a lot of voter suppression. It was very difficult to vote. It was, like, used against us because they knew that if we went out and voted, we could change things. And then I guess maybe now what's happened is that people got complacent maybe or they um, they think it doesn't matter because they believe the hype. 
You know, in Flint, Michigan, like your guest said, if that would have been a white community, first of all, that wouldn't have happened there, like he said, right. you know, because white people get out and they demand things and they, you know, they do what, what they're supposed to do. And we, for some reason, I feel like we can't get our people to get out in droves. If everybody voted, we could change things. Um, All right. In Hong Kong, I think 70% of the people, dem, dem, um, the Democrats, the democracy works because 70% of the people voted. Here, it's crazy. So that's my thought. But thank you again for telling the truth. All right. Thank you for your call. Good point there, Dr. Haynes. I mean, um, uh, it's said that uh, when Trump uh, won in 2016, it was about 80,000 votes in three swing states. Right. And in right. those three swing states, 800,000 blacks uh, did not come out and vote. Right. So so what the sister is saying is so on point. And to give you an example of how white she is when we voted in Alabama uh, to ensure that that, you know, pedophile would not get elected, you know, black women. Uh, voted in such a powerful fashion that, you know, Alabama, a white supremacist red state, literally elected a Democrat to to the United States Senate and precluded a pedophile from getting in. I would simply add to what she's saying, not only must we vote, but we must vote with an agenda. We must vote as a power block. We must vote, and I hate to use them as an example, but what the Tea Party did, the Tea Party had an agenda. They had a vision for this country, a distorted vision rooted in white supremacy. We recognize that, but the Tea Party not only went out and took control of local and state elections, but what they did, they had an agenda. And so that's what Absolutely. you cannot do anything uh, locally if you only vote on one level and that is nationally absolutely and once we vote we need to hold them accountable good morning caller you're on the air oh, good good morning uh bishop uh, swan and uh pastor Haynes. thank you for um all of your wonderful advice i need to ask you two uh men important questions when we're talking about um christianity and white evangelical christians um why do we still use some of the language that um, the slave masters gave us to, and like we call ourselves Christians when Jesus Christ didn't call himself a Christian. Um, we call ourselves heathens, not heathens, but Gentiles, when there could be evidence in the Bible that says we're the seed of Abraham. And so do you gentlemen think that some of the language that we still use hold us in bondage mentally um, to white supremacy, Christianity. And, and that's all I have to think. And thank you, guys. All right. Dr. Haynes, you want to tackle that? Okay, I'll just say this. Uh, first of all, uh, Jesus didn't call himself a Christian, but uh, those at Antioch in, what is it, Acts chapter 13, around yes, there, they were first called Christians or little Christ. And so just because white supremacists have or misappropriated uh, the name, it does not mean uh, that we have fallen prey to what they do. I get what the brother's saying because definitions are so important, but I love what you've called this program, Bishop. Our conversation has been about 
white evangelicals. And as we've said, you know, they are more white than they are evangelical. And so I don't even want to call them a Christian because there's nothing about them that is Christ-like. They do not follow uh, Jesus Christ as it relates to his majoring in ministry to the marginalized, speaking truth to power, and literally becoming such a revolutionary that Rome, the empire, had to shut him down and lynch him on a cross. And so that's my Jesus. That's my Christ. And so I want to be a Christian because I want to follow him in majoring in ministry to the marginalized. I want to follow him in speaking truth to power. I want to follow him in prophetic witness. And so just because they mess up his name, that is not going to be something I'm going to fall prey to. Again, they are white evangelicals, and they really are white. And I don't know if there's anything evangelical about them, let alone Christian. Absolutely. And, you know, I I, I call the slaveholder uh, religion um, uh, that they tried to teach to our ancestors a whitenized Christianity. But even then— um, God endued them with such brilliance and intelligence uh, that they could see the contradiction in what they were being taught and how they were being treated. Um, and, you know, they, they, they taught them slaves be obedient to your master, uh, but they read the biggest mistake they made was when they taught them how to read and tried to use the Bible to subjugate them. Uh, right. They had a different hermeneutic. They read about the Exodus and understood that God did not want us to be in bondage. Uh, and and they would use code. They would sing. Uh, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there without yeah. master even knowing that they were talking about them. And so uh, although, yes, uh, there are some of the terms that are used, but we don't use them in the same way um, that white evangelicals have used them to oppress us. The phone lines are lighting up. Let me take a couple more calls. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Yes, good morning. Um, what I wanted to say, um, children of God or followers of Christ, they should be voters and also they should be active in politics so that they can make sure that the politicians are that they're the politicians are All right, lost that caller. Good morning, caller, you're on the air. Oh, God bless you, Bishop Swan. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Good, good. I just want to say your show is, is dynamic all around. And, you know, I listen to it every time I get a chance. And I just think what you two are saying is definitely uh, profound in that this show needs to be heard on up. All right. I don't know what's happening with those lines. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Good morning, Bishop. Good morning, Pastor. I just want to piggyback on what that one gentleman was calling about. I just wanted to make a statement. Christian is only in the word Christians in the Bible only three times. Acts 11.26, Acts 26.28, and 1 Peter 4.16. And Jesus never said to be a Christian. He said to be a disciple. Luke 14.33, you must give up everything or you cannot be my disciple. And well, when, when well, let me ask let me, let me let me ask you a question. When 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 we define being a Christian as being a follower of Christ, are we getting bogged down in semantics? No, I don't think so. 
All right. Well, I appreciate your perspective. 413-736-2781. Dr. Haynes, uh, you know, one of the things that um, white evangelicals accuse us of uh, because they misappropriate Scripture so much um, is, well, you guys aren't using the Bible. Well, you know, uh, uh, all we need to do is look at Luke 4.18. And, 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 I mean, the anchor text of, of justice for me, Jesus in his first public declaration in his public ministry when when he goes and he's baptized and he goes in the wilderness is tempted by satan and then he walks into the synagogue and the first text he takes uh he says uh that the spirit of the lord is upon me he has uh sent me to the poor uh, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery yeah. of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Clearly, justice is not only compatible with the gospel, it's it's the reason God sent Jesus to earth. It's a fundamental aspect of the gospel, and the scripture backs that up. So well said, and I love how you said it's the anchor text of justice and ironically the anchor text of justice is the mission statement of jesus and so as far as i'm concerned there is no way honestly to divorce justice from jesus because they're united in a holy wedlock at the very outset of his ministry and that text right there defined the work and witness of Jesus, and those of us who claim to follow him, we must follow him in the way of justice. We must follow him by majoring in ensuring that there is good news to those who are poor. And of course, the word for poor had to do with, with, with those who find themselves victimized by a system that made them poor, and that good news is always going to be what? public policy that is transformed so that systems do not keep the poor impoverished. And so as far as I'm concerned, that anchor text of justice is the mission statement of Jesus and those of us who dare to go to church, who dare to say we follow Jesus, we ain't for real if we do not have that anchor text as our mission statement as followers of Jesus. Thank you. One last call. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Yes, Bishop. How are you doing today? I'm well. How are you? First off, I just wanted to say I'm a big fan and I just support what you do. Okay. I follow you on Twitter and I follow you on Instagram. And honestly, it's really so sad how even professing Christians are even attacking you and trying to judge your credibility. Well, you, you know, you know that that comes with the territory. Anytime you speak truth to power, uh, they attack right. your credibility. Uh, they did it to Dr. King. Uh, most of, of of those white evangelicals who quote Dr. King and use his quotes as a cudgel um, to beat black people over the head when they speak truth to power, they would have never supported Dr. King had they lived in the day Dr. King lived in. And so the same names they call me, they call Dr. Haynes, uh, race hustler, race baiter, um, all of that stuff, they call those same names uh, uh, to Dr. King and to everybody right. else who's ever stood up for justice. Dr. Haynes, I want you to have a, a final word uh, before we let you go off the line. Okay, Bishop, thank you. And thank you for your work, your witness. Uh, you have no idea how much you inspire me and keep me going 
uh, in this struggle and in this fight. And to show you how right you are with your last statement, uh, on my radio program about 10 years ago, I had Robert Jeffries. Uh, you know him as the pastor yes. of First Baptist Church downtown Dallas. And as we were closing out that conversation, Robert Jeffries had the nerve to say that if he had been around when Martin Luther King Jr. was doing his work, he would have been right there on the front lines with him. My clap back to him at that time was, well, what would you see Dr. King doing today that you are on the front lines doing? And I gave him a checklist of things that Dr. King would be doing today. Of course, we all know he's been absent from those front lines. I've sent him an open letter uh, in the last year because of his statement uh, that he made about the football players, especially when Colin Kaepernick was taking a knee, and he said that if they were taking a knee uh, in North Korea, uh, they'd be shot in the head. And so I clapped back to him and said, if you were preaching Jesus, your brand of Jesus in North Korea, you'd get shot in the head. And so what's your point? And so the bottom line is that these white evangelicals who claim to follow Jesus, who claim Dr. King today, a convenient version of Dr. King as opposed to the real Dr. King, they are dangerous. They are anti Christian, yeah. and I would dare say they are anti-Christ, and we have to be very careful about following them, and I close with this by saying that's why my concern right now is, and I know I'm shifting, but it's, it's right in line there, is that a lot of them have jumped on this Kanye West train, my goodness. and my concern yes, is that Kanye West is hooking up with white Jesus as opposed to right Jesus. And please know, there's a major difference between white Jesus who supported and sanctioned slavery, white Jesus who is an upholder of white supremacy, and the right Jesus. The right Jesus is that biblical Christ who had hair like wool, feet like burnt brass, Preach, on a cross on, on Friday, but rose in resurrection on Sunday, so the resurrection is always an insurrection against injustice. That's the right Jesus, and as far as I'm concerned, our battle today is to make sure the white Jesus uh, ends up being where the white Jesus should be, and that is in the junk heap of history. So let's lift up, lift up the right Jesus and forget about the white Jesus. Man, you you always inspire. I appreciate you so much. Your ministry, uh, um, your message, um, always fire. I appreciate your friendship. And uh, Lord willing, we'll see you um, next month at the Conference of National Black Churches. I appreciate you yes, so sir. much for calling in. All right, brother. Thank you so much, man. Keep up the great work. All right. God bless. 413-736-2781. That was... Uh, Pastor Freddie Haynes, um, one of the great um, preachers in our nation. Um, we had him here a couple years ago at our NAACP um, Freedom Fund. Uh, and if you missed that, uh, well, you just you just missed it. Um, and certainly we're going to have him back again. Um, but always enjoy uh, his words of inspiration um, and what he has to say. We'll take your calls until show close. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Um, thank you for the, uh, the powerful message. And thank you, uh, uh, Dr. Hayes, for coming on the program this morning. Um well, do you know the, the, the name of the uh, the scholar you mentioned in the beginning of the show? Uh, his name was 
Dr. Jerome, um, and can you recall that name? And, and last, um, when are you going to have Dr. Hayes back on your show again, or if you're going to invite him here to Springfield? Okay. Um, well, you know, we'll keep you posted when we have Dr. Haynes back in the city. We're certainly going to do that. Um, I'm not certain which scholar you, you're speaking of. Um, James Cone probably is the, is the name that you're looking for. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Yes. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, if I can just say one thing, I just wanted to encourage you to just continue doing your Bing Bishop, and I'll always, you'll always have my support. All right. All right. I appreciate you so much. Well, listen, I got to get out your way. James Lewis is in the studio. I'll take one last call and then I got to transition. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Uh, yes, the scholar that he was talking about was from when Freddie D. Haynes mentioned uh, Dr. Jerome Roth. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. I appreciate that. Thank you, sir. All right. I got to